going? Whoa. We just... Wow, band, you rocked us into the presence of God this morning. Thank you so much. What an incredible church you are. You look good. Do you feel good? Just in the presence of the King, where, where else would you rather be? Nowhere. Hey, I want to honor um, Pastor Chris and Pastor Lyra. Your church is very well known around Wales. It is highly thought of. And a lot of it is down to you, Pastor Chris and Pastor Lyra. They are honorable, godly people in this nation, and they are thought of so highly. So for you to say welcome to me, I am just here going, I am so honored, so privileged that you would trust me with your people this morning. I never, ever, ever take opening the word of God lightly, ever, because it's a privilege. Um, And so for you to trust me to do that with your people, I honor you this morning and I bless you because you, the two of you, are absolute gold in this nation and you are more pivotal than you think. I believe that your greatest days are ahead of you. I believe that God is only just showing you a tiny part of the influence, the uh, blessing that is to come. I believe there are such great days ahead of you. So I honor you and I bless you. And I thank you just for being um, in front of you all today. Um, Evangelical Alliance. Okay. How many of you have heard of us? Oh, that's great. Keep your hands up if you know what we do. I thought so. I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. So people generally around the country know that we're a good thing, but maybe don't know who we are and what we're about. So we've just got a two-minute, 15-second clip just for you to watch. And I pray that this will just really um, inform you and inspire you, um, that there are people who love you and who are championing you. So take a look at this. Have you heard of the Evangelical Alliance? Ever wondered what we're for? We're all for unity. When we look around, we are heartbroken to see the nations we love riddled with division. Division in families, division in political parties, division in communities. But we are all for painting a different picture. One of a growing, vibrant, united church, colourful and diverse, and standing firmly on God's word. We are here to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we might become the family of God united. One people, one voice, one hope. We're all for advocacy. When the world questions the relevance of our faith, we demonstrate to the UK parliaments and assemblies how Christians are absolutely good news for society. We tell stories of how the church is housing the homeless, feeding the hungry and bringing much-needed public leadership to towns and cities. We give voice to the church, speaking out on the issues that matter. When our faith is being pushed to the sidelines, we want to graciously and coherently fight for the religious liberty of all. We challenge the story. We say there's a better way. And we're all for mission. In a broken, hopeless world, we show how Jesus changes everything. We want to see many people invited into a relationship with him, because salvation through Jesus is the best thing possible. 
We exist to unite the church in evangelism and equip people like you to share your faith with confidence and boldness. We encourage the whole church to play a part in fulfilling the awesome challenge that is the Great Commission. What is the Evangelical Alliance for? We're for you. The Jesus-following teachers, police officers, CEOs, farmers, doctors, church leaders, artists, factory workers, retailers and journalists who are busy being salt and light in the world. We are for you. So join us. So hopefully that just speaks a little bit into who we are. If I had to break it down a bit further, I would say that we're three R's. Number one, we are relational. And I know that that is part of your DNA here at Gateway Church, that you want to relate, not just with one another, but with other churches in the town and across the nation. We just love linking people with one another. How many of you know that actually there's a whole heap of reinventing the wheel going on in our churches So we try and get people to work together. How many of us know that where there is unity, there is a blessing? Yeah, so we're trying to get people to um, just partner together for the sake of the gospel. Um, Secondly, we resource. um, We have a website full of free resource. Please go and loot us. (laughs) Honestly, there's like um, small group material there. There's small videos. They're all free. Go, Go and grab them. All good. Um, And then thirdly, having been relational and resourcing, we represent. So um, a lot of our time is spent in the Seneth, in number 10. We have desks in number 10 um, at Westminster, Holyrood, and now Stormont. Obviously, it's not been running for three years, but we're back in there. So we're very much your voice, um, the voice of evangelical Christians. And we speak into things like, most recently, we've been speaking into the relationships and sexuality curriculum I don't know if you've been following that on the news this week. Unfortunately, sadly, we feel um, the right to withdraw our children um, from relationships and sexuality um, lessons has been withdrawn. Now, we've been working um, with other Christian agencies and, in fact, other faith agencies as well and saying, do you know what? Whatever you teach to our five-year-olds has got to be age-appropriate and it's got to go alongside what we um, believe as people of faith. Unfortunately, that right to withdraw has been removed. We were fighting hard for that to remain because we believe that what is taught to our 5, 7, 9, 11, etc. years old should be actually down to parents and that parents should have a voice. Um, However, we have had a small victory in that people of faith, we are now going to be consulted um, about the content of the curriculum. So whereas we feel like... This right to withdraw has been withdrawn. Actually, we can speak into the curriculum. So please know that we are making a difference down at the Senev. We do have um, occasion whereby we are um, in the room with ministers and AMs, etc. MPs as well, definitely um, at number 10, etc. So really pray for us, if you would. And um, as I said, go and visit our website. There's heaps of stuff that will really inspire and challenge. It's all for free. Now, I just want to let you in on a secret, because this has never happened to me before, but this morning, as I was preparing, my iPad crashed. So I just feel like there's a little small contesting of the words today, because actually, what I've got to bring you is really, really simple. However, if we really grabbed a hold of this, thank you, that's no problem, this could really revolutionize our nation. 
are you a people of good humor? Oh, good, because I'm going to tell you a funny story. But it actually is a true story. <clears throat> so I moved down to Cardiff um, exactly a year ago, January the 2nd, um, 2019. And you wouldn't believe the way that Jesus has just provided everything that I need. I mean, it's been like a red carpet experience, which is so typical of Jesus. Hey. Yeah, we believe in the blessing of God, don't we? Surely. Um, And he has just been so good. So back in July, it was the Monday after my birthday. If anyone's got their diaries, July the 6th, roses are my favorite flower. Um, Lindor's my favorite chocolate. It was the Monday after my birthday, and I'm sitting in the living room of this beautiful rented house that the Lord has sorted for me. I have got my mobile phone in one hand and what we call in North Wales a panad. Does anybody know what a panad is? Ah, yes, South Walians. I'm joking you. It's basically a brew, yeah? So I'm sitting there with my mobile in one hand and a brew in another. It's six o'clock because guess what? Seven o'clock, I needed to be out for a church meeting. How many of us know that church meetings are always on a Monday, aren't they? What's that about? You've barely actually remembered your name the whole day, and then there's a church meeting to go to in the evening. Six o'clock, sitting on my sofa, enjoying a breather before having to go out. Just as I am texting one of my friends, through the corner of my eye, I see something walking along the skirting board. And just in my mind, I'm processing this. I'm thinking, wow, it's a bit big for a spider. And I don't even like spiders. So I press send on my mobile. I put my phone down, thinking that I might want to get out of there quickly. I put my panad, my brew, on the table. I look up, and from the chair right across from me, there are two little eyes looking up at me. Now, look at me. I'm not exactly renowned for my... um, you know, sporting prowess or physical, you know, physique or whatever. But I absolutely, Usain bolted it out of that room. I slammed the door behind me and I ran to the back of the house. And not a word of exaggeration, I am literally standing atop the dining table chair. Now, do you have the word meltdown in Abergavenny? Okay, so it was close to meltdown, but it was all kind of internal at this point. However, just as I am going into full-scale meltdown, I see another rodent coming down the corridor, running full pelt. Don't worry, I'm not going to scream. And I let out the most vocal cord-wrenching scream that I have ever, ever given. And do you know what? This cheeky little rodent, not a word of a lie, he looked up at me. Who do you think you are? Turned around and skedaddled into another room. So I'm off the dining room chair and I'm like running down the corridor, slammed that door behind him and I'm back into the dining table at the back of the house. And again, I'm on the dining table chair. Now, there are two things that a single woman who lives alone will do in a crisis. Number one, she'll phone her dad. Dad was out of the country, and despite the fact that I was in full-scale crisis, I'm too tight to phone abroad, (laughs) so I phoned my bestie. Now, my bestie lives 200 miles away from where I live. I lived in Bangor for 23 years, Bangor, North Wales. It's at the foot of Snowdonia. It's beautiful. 
So I phoned Nicola and I'm like, Nicola, you're never gonna guess what. And she's like, what's happened? Have you been burgled? Have you been mugged? What's happened? I said, Nicola, I've got rodents in the house. Now, Nicola, obviously, being my best friend, is quite similar to me. And she's like, that's disgusting. I can't talk to you. And she hands the phone over to her husband. I'm like, Anyway, Neil comes on the phone, the voice of reason, used to dealing with um, Nicola and myself. And he goes, "Um, Sean, you do understand that we're 200 miles away and we can't do anything, don't you? So you better phone somebody who can. Bye. Puts the phone down. And I'm on top of the dining room chair going... (laughs) I literally, literally crouched on top of that chair for an hour and a half until the landlord sent somebody to come and rescue me. I mean, feel the burn. Oh, my goodness. I'm surprised I've even got any muscles left. All of that to say, and I know you're thinking by now, golly, who is this? Who was Pastor Chris put in front of us? All of that to say wasn't really owning the situation. I kind of wanted somebody else to come and sort me out. Even if that somebody else was living 200 miles away, I did not want to have to deal with two stinky mice. They were mice. They weren't rats. That doesn't make any difference. Didn't want to have to deal with rodents invading my house. I wanted somebody else to come and sort me out. How often do we do that as Christians? We think we want revival, and I'm guessing that most of us do, But how many of us have it in our heads that that maybe someone else will see that happen? Maybe the cavalry are coming and they'll see revival. But do you know what? In Jesus' name, I'm telling you this morning, the cavalry are not coming. We are the church of God. It is our watch. It is our turn to take ownership and responsibility of the spiritual state of this nation. Can I get an amen? Amen. So I want to turn this morning to the story of Nehemiah. And do you know what? Already I've said that wrong. It's not a story. It's a true account. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, you would see the remnants of this wall around Jerusalem. And that's really important because we're not talking about a fairy tale. We're not talking about a parable even. We are talking about a real account. You have only got to have a pulse in your body to recognize that the UK is in a season of change. All of the systems, all of the processes that we've been used to for decades, perhaps centuries, feel like they are shaking. True? Consequently, there has never been a more important time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and be everything that she has been called and purposed to be. I don't think there has ever been an easier time to present somebody with Jesus. Do you know what? He is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. He's the one who the Bible describes as the rock. You know, that unshakable, immovable person that we can um, fix our eyes on and base our lives on because he is not going to change. And in this time of insecurity, people are looking for a rock to build their lives on. There has never been a better time to introduce people to Jesus. You see, Christians, we know not to fear, don't we? Because actually we have a God who cares. 
who loves and who is sovereign over all creation. He is not phased by any turbulence, let alone the turbulence that we're seeing in society today. (laughs) The word of God says that the Lord is sitting on the throne. He is at complete peace. He is not pacing up and down heaven, wondering what on earth is going to happen to Wales or Abergavenny or the UK. He is from a place of complete peace. Even in your life, you've got to know this morning that the Lord is sovereign. He is reigning, and he's doing that from peace. He knows the beginning from the end, amen? Our role is just to preach Christ crucified. In these kind of strange times, I've been reading Nehemiah, and it's, it's like I can't get away from it. And every time I, I preach this message, and it's so on my heart at the moment, people say, do you know what? That's really strange. Our church has been preaching on Nehemiah. Or I was at a conference, and do you know what? I heard somebody speak about Nehemiah. Or I was at a prayer breakfast the other day, and they were talking about Nehemiah. And so I just wonder, is the Holy Spirit trying to speak something into Wales at the moment. And that's why, without absolutely any shame at all, I'm going to take you there this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it up or switch it on or whatever you need to do. You see Nehemiah? He was famous for rebuilding the walls that had been absolutely shattered by Nebuchadnezzar's armies in 586 B.C., The walls had been broken down, the gates had been burnt, and the people of God were in exile. Now, Nehemiah wasn't a resident of Jerusalem at this time. We know that his forefathers were buried there, but he was not resident there. In fact, he was in the citadel of Susa, far, far away from Jerusalem. But he heard about the fate of Jerusalem from his brother. Now, I don't know. I'm a Welsh speaker. I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going to call him Hanani. Some people call him Hanani. Sounds very classy. I'm going to call him Hanani. Hanani comes along and tells um, Nehemiah of the fate of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, who was he? He was a cupbearer. He had unprecedented access to the king. He was the guy who would um, taste from the wine glass before the king would take a sip of wine just to check that it had not been poisoned. He was the guy who would have taken some of the king's food as well just to check again. Had it been poisoned, was it fit for the king to eat? So he had access to the king, but only in one sort of sense. (laughs) He was the guy who was to serve. Now, because Nehemiah had been born into Babylonian culture after the fall of Jerusalem, we, we can safely say that he had no idea, no idea, no concept of what the city had looked like in its former glory. But we can capture something of his heart for the restoration of Jerusalem. The Bible says, when Nehemiah heard of the state of Jerusalem, he sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He's not even resident there. And yet the level of ownership, the level of responsibility that he takes for the city is absolutely staggering. I wonder when did you and I last weep for the condition of our nation? I mean, let's just put politics aside for a second. How many of us weep when we hear that food banks 
delivered 1.6 million three-day packages of food last year alone. How many of us would weep hearing about the 1.2 elderly people who are chronically lonely in this nation? Chronically lonely. How many of you weep when you hear about the increase in mental health and suicide? How many of us weep when we think of a nation walking around not knowing that there is a God who loves them, cares for them, and who has the most incredible future for them? Brilliant plans, great adventures. How many of us weep when we drive around this nation and we see church buildings, chapel buildings, empty, as though God has died and somehow left the nation? When did you and I last weep? For our nation. Let's not allow ourselves to be so accustomed to the physical and spiritual condition of our nation that we get numb. So dangerous. Nehemiah's passion for God's people turned him to prayer and he interceded day and night. But how does he pray? Let's have a look. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Do you see how he opens by reminding himself of who God is? <laughs> who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He goes on. You thought that was a good start. This is revolutionary. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, And my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see, in confessing the sins of God people, Nehemiah was taking ownership. He was taking responsibility, not just for his own sin, but for the sins of God of the people. You see, God's heart is always to see everything that is broken, restored, repaired, redeemed. In confessing their sins, Nehemiah is reminding us that with God, we can start afresh anytime. And maybe that's just a thought for somebody here today. Maybe you feel like you've done life up to a certain point and it's, it's got messy. Jesus is here. He knows about all that. And he's saying to you today, today is a a time for a new start. You see compassion, all of that weeping, mourning, fasting, praying. It's got to result in prayer. It's got to. If we're going to see a nation transform, we're going to have to get on our knees a whole lot more. Do you know, like the 1904 revival, I know we talk about that revival a lot. There are so many others. But Evan Roberts, the main revivalist in that revival, he was on his face night and day for 10 whole years before he saw anything change. He was on his face for 10 whole years before he saw anything shift in the heavenlies, anything shift on earth. I wonder, do you and I hold that same fervent commitment to prayer? that will see revival come. 
You see, I think it's time to take ownership over the condition of our nation. By turning to God, we're reminding ourselves, aren't we, that he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And I reckon Wales has hit that point. We, we can't just dream our own personal dreams or even our dreams for the nation. We need God to do immeasurably more, amen, than we can ask or imagine. Could this be, I wonder, a timely message for us here in Wales? What if the Lord really is speaking this across the nation? What if Holy Spirit, what if he is coming and saying, come on, church, I want you to rise up. I want you to own this. This is your day. Now, Nehemiah, he'd been determined that the time was coming to go and ask King Artaxerxes for a few things. Artaxerxes wasn't just a king. He was practically a god. Okay, so he's not just going to go and ask his boss for something that, like you and I might go and ask, or can I have a, I don't know, money for, to go and get some more coffee or something. I don't know. This was like a life or death situation. King Artaxerxes had never seen Nehemiah in a state before. So be, despite being really downcast, full of fear, Nehemiah approached the king. What was the king's answer? What do you want? What do you and I want for Abergavenny? What, what do you want? What, what do you want God to do? Is it all kind of bigger picture, pie in the sky? I want to see loads of people saved. No, no, no. What does that look like? What does that look like? Does it mean your street getting saved? Does it mean um, the school where your kids go, loving Jesus? Does it mean that you need to pray for the sick and, and see people who um, are really heartbroken healed? What, what does this look like? Because you see, unless you know what you want, that will never inform your prayers. But if you know strategically, specifically what God is calling you to do, you can pray into it. Amen. Okay, you've gone kind of sleepy. I thought this was an AOG church. Like, hmm. hmm. What do you want? Imagine that. Imagine being asked by the king who was this godly kind of character, godlike, you know, with a small g. What do you want for your nation? I love that the Bible records Nehemiah's response at this point. He puts out one of those little SOS prayers. Have you ever had one of those where you're in a situation, you haven't got a scooby-doo what you're going to say, and you're like, oh! Jesus, what am I going to say? I need you to put some words in my mouth. Happens to me all the time down at the Sun Earth with big, scary people who've got loads of brains. And I'm like, oh, what shall I say? And do you know what? Every time you shoot off one of those little SOS prayers, the Lord fills your mouth. Just like he promised Jeremiah. He puts the words in your mouth to say. What do you want, Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight. Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. What a stunning, stunning response. Nehemiah was willing to be part of the answer to his prayers. He was like, okay, I'm asking for it. Therefore, I'm prepared to go and rebuild and reestablish. Take a look at that again. Let him send me Are you still praying for the cavalry to come? They're not coming. We are the cavalry. Let him send me so that I 
can rebuild it. You want people to come and pray for your sick friends? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, come on, rise up. Go and ask if you can pray for them. You want to see people's lives restored? Well, cavalry's not coming. You are the cavalry. You're the one who can go and love on that person. You might have heard of the tale of everybody, somebody, anybody, nobody. It goes like this. There was an important job to be done. And everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it. But nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. So it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Not Nehemiah. He wasn't waiting on someone else to rise up and be all that God had purposed them to be. But Nehemiah goes one step further. And this is going to just challenge someone today, I think, because um, this is what I feel is on my heart for you. This is what Nehemiah says to Artaxerxes. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Why do I think that is so critical? I'll tell you for why. We have got the favor of God on our lives. The word says that he delights with us. Delights with us. We're singing. He sings songs over us. That's crazy. I'd love to hear that song. But because the hand of God is on our lives, we should be looking not just to the people of God to resource the work of God. We should be looking anywhere and everywhere. You see, Nehemiah is bold enough that he says, all right, hmm, give me some timber so I can do this work. Oh, would you provide me with a little um, residence that, that I will live in? <laughs> I think we become so narrow-minded that we think, well, only the work of, of God can be financed by the people of God. But actually, do you know what? We are improving the state of this nation. We are loving people back into health, into wholeness. Why on earth wouldn't we go elsewhere to the secular to go and say, well, come on, you start resourcing us. Who are feeding the hungry? The food banks. Who are the food banks? The people of God. Who are the street pastors? The ones who look after the vulnerable when they've had a few too many, making sure they get into a taxi or get home. Who, who are they? Who are the street pastors? The people of God. Are we making our streets safer? Yes, we are. Christians Against Poverty. It's in the title. Why, why, why is the secular not funding us to see people's lives being rebuilt? I'll tell you for why, because we don't ask them. Oh, I'm sorry. I can feel like everybody's squirming. It's time to be brave, isn't it? 
It's time to be brave. I reckon Artaxerxes, and don't worry, I'm about to finish. I reckon that Artaxerxes would probably have been quite impressed by the extent that Nehemiah had sussed out what he wanted. You see, God had filled his mouth. God had filled his mouth. It's unlikely that Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, would have all of this kind of mapped out in his head. I reckon Artaxerxes could see that the favor of God was on his life. So Nehemiah, he goes out in the middle of the night. He does a bit of a recce, inspects and examines the walls. But again, he takes full ownership. Have a listen to this. Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. See the trouble we are in? So it's no longer see the trouble that Jerusalem's in. No, see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Having declared that, how do the people respond? The people replied, let us start rebuilding. So to recap, At the beginning of the account of Nehemiah, he was in Susa. And he hears from Hanani the state, the condition of the people of God in Jerusalem. He risked his life in going to the king to ask for permission to rebuild. Friends, if we're going to see Abergavenny saved, and we're not going for anything less, amen? If we're going to see Abergavenny saved, if we're going to see the nation of Wales and beyond transformed, We are going to need to work together. The Bible describes us as being one body, Christ at the head, each one of us being different parts, each one of us bringing different things to the table. The Bible says that we all bear fruit, different fruit, fruit that lasts, hopefully. But you know what? There is one fruit bowl. And so when this side of the church bring all of the fruit that they bear and they put it in the bowl, that gets added to the fruit of everybody on this side of the room, and it goes into one fruit bowl. And then it gets added to the church down the road, and that goes into the fruit bowl. And then it gets added not just to um, Abergavenny's fruit bowl, but like Monmouth comes in, and like Pontypool, and Cardiff, and all the, like Newport, and all the different towns and villages. It all gets put into one fruit bowl. And do you know what? That fruit bowl is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God here on earth. And it grows, and people's lives get changed. And do you know what? This, this nation can be saved. I said to Pastor Chris just earlier, you know, the amount of traveling he and I do, golly. I've moved five hours from Bangor to Cardiff, but it's only five hours. Imagine if we all work together. This nation could be saved. This nation could be changed. We're not that big a nation. We don't have punch above our weight. Nobody has ever lived this day, this week, this month, this year before. It's our watch. It's not about becoming history makers and Sean Reese, the great, you know, Chris Vaz, the great. We've done away with all that. It's about kingdom. And do you know what? I hope nobody ever knows our name, ever, 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 that the name of Jesus and his glory would be restored. Let me finish with this. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, he says. And the gates of hell, they'll not prevail. They will not prevail against it. And you know what? Jesus wasn't talking about rebuilding physical walls. He was talking about rebuilding people. And that is why it is so 
critical that we take spiritual ownership and responsibility over the spiritual state of Abergavenny and this nation. I'm just going to leave that with you. But before I, um, I hand over the mic, I hope this is okay, Pastor Chris. We've talked a lot about ownership. The greatest gift of ownership is actually giving Jesus our lives. That's where it all starts. We can't claim to want to rebuild for him until we've actually surrendered ourselves. And I think there are two categories of people here this morning. Number one, people who have never known Jesus. Never. And secondly, there's what the Bible describes as a prodigal. People who perhaps knew and loved Jesus at one stage, but you've done like that kid did in Luke 15, and you've squandered your wealth, and you've gone off, you've done a bit of partying, but actually now you're realizing it's time to come home. Neither of those things are an issue to God. We can get that sorted now. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, let me tell you why that would be the best thing you could ever do. Number one, he loves you. My goodness. He is absolutely passionate about you. You have a heavenly father who adores you, who quite literally thinks you are the best thing he ever created. But you know what? You and I, both of us, we're broken. Everybody's broken in different ways. And we do stupid things and we mess up and we embarrass And the way that the Bible describes that is that we've fallen short of the standards, the glory of God. But instead of that being something that makes us guilty, we just need to come to God. That's why he died on a cross, so that you and I could have a fresh start. We can. We can start again today. You might have done the most hideous things, said the most dreadful things, been the most horrid person. That can finish today. And you will be free to start again, free of any guilt, free from all of your shame. Only that you would surrender to Jesus. But you know what? It's the same for the prodigal, the person who's gone out partying and forgotten about Jesus. Jesus has never forgotten about you. He is that father with his arms open wide, just waiting for you to come home. And he's going to wrap his arms around you and welcome you home this morning. So can I ask you to close your eyes? We're going to give people a bit of privacy, a bit of dignity. Great, if the band could come up. Amazing. This morning, I'm going to ask you one question. Are you at peace with Jesus? What that means is, are you in good relationship with him? Have you given your life, all of it, over to him? Have a think about it. Do you love him? Do you let him love you? There'll be people here who say, actually, no. And I need to get that fixed.
there'll be somebody here who God is just knocking on your heart. And he's saying, come on, let me in. You know it's the right time. So I'm going to pray a prayer that is going to reconnect us with God. That is going to invite him into our hearts. And I'm going to ask you, church, would you all repeat the prayer so that we can give dignity and privacy to the people who are doing this? Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your love for me. Lord Jesus, I am broken. I've tried to do this myself. And things are not working. I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong. And I ask for your forgiveness. pray your forgiveness would flood my heart. Take away my shame. Deal with my guilt. And give me a fresh start today. I choose to live for you. And I thank you for a new start. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just keep our eyes shut. This is all really personal, really personal. If you've just prayed that prayer for the first time or you've prayed it because you want to come back to God, well done. Well done. You've come home you prayed that for the first time, you are guaranteed, guaranteed to have reconnected with Jesus. That's a decision that shaped your eternal destiny. Well done. You've come home. I just want you to picture the the Lord putting his arms around you. And he's speaking into your to your heart that he loves you that he's proud of you that he trusts you that he thinks you're brilliant if you prayed that for the first time or maybe for the tenth time today would you just um, with every eye shut please just give me a little wave thank you thank you thank you Welcome home. Just as the worship team lead us, why don't you just enjoy, enjoy the Lord, enjoy his favor, his love, and allow him just to, just to warm your heart again for him this morning. In Jesus' name.